It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. As the war in Ukraine rages on, uh, of course, the House passed a $40 billion assistance package. It's still hung up in the Senate, uh, but likely to be passed a little later on this week. Uh, but the question then is, is, is that age packet, aid package in that format really what Ukraine needs most to defeat Russia? Uh, are we just focusing on the money? Are we missing the chance to discuss a full range of options uh, to be more helpful for the long-term sustainability of the country? Uh, Brian Clark, Senior Fellow and Director of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. He joins us now online. Had a great piece in the dispatch today. Uh, what we must do to actually help Ukraine win. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for, for, thanks for having me on. Uh, so as, as you look at this, again, it's easy to, to just focus on dollars and cents. Um, tell us what we should actually be thinking about as we look at how is the best way to actually help Ukraine. Yeah, so the uh, the issue is uh, not so much the amount of money, it's where the money's going in terms of you know what kinds of weapons we're looking to give them, what kind of support we're looking to give them. And the challenge right now that Ukraine is facing is that the war is becoming more and more like a stalemate. Um, the fighting in the east is kind of grinding down to a point where they're making small gains against the Russians, but then the Russians maybe make some gains against the Ukrainians. Um, so the battle line is starting to stabilize. Um, and to break that battle line would require Ukraine to have a little bit more offensive firepower on its side, so longer range weapons, um, you know, like uh, rocket artillery, um, guided rockets that the United States has that they could provide, uh, longer range missiles, uh, and maybe uh, self-propelled artillery, uh, which is which is something the U.S. has not given to them yet. Um, so right now, the, the capabilities that the U.S. has given are sort of designed to kind of guarantee this stalemate that then provides a place from which Ukraine could negotiate a peace. That seems to be the, the U.S. approach right now. Yeah, and uh, some of the things that you pointed out in your piece in the dispatch today, uh, I love where you began just talking kind of the geopolitics of it all in terms of what the U.S. should be doing with NATO allies, uh, particularly looking at those who aren't just interested in a stalemate, uh, but those who are actually interested in pushing Russia out of Ukraine. Yeah, um, even Secretary Austin mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that his interest was in eroding Russia's military capability and helping Ukraine win. Um, and several NATO uh, allies have expressed some desire to actually uh, help Ukraine achieve a victory more than just survive here. Um, I think what's now happening is they're starting to realize that uh, if maybe Ukraine wins too well uh, and pushes Russia back too far, then maybe it puts Putin in a corner and maybe he chooses to escalate matters and start using WMD weapons of mass destruction like chemical weapons or even nuclear weapons as a way to break through. Um, so I think the West is now becoming concerned that Ukraine is performing so well that if they give them more capable weapons, Ukraine might actually take the fight back to the Russians and put the Russians now on the defensive, which could lead to some escalation. Yeah, you, you talk about that escalation. Uh, talk to us just for a, a second about uh, the addition of, of Finland and Sweden pursuing uh, NATO membership. How does that ratchet things up in your view? 
Well, in a way, it helps you. It helps Putin a little bit because he he wants to sort of portray this as a you know West against Russia um, situation, which helps him back home with his domestic politics of putting Russia in the position of being you know the the in a siege mentality, if you will. So everybody's against us. Uh, so in a way, it helps him politically, um, but then militarily, obviously, it's not beneficial because that's just another uh, couple of countries he has to contend with. But if you sort of take the premise that Russia never really had an intent and Putin never really had an intent to attack NATO, um, then maybe it's a wash from a military perspective, but he gains pol- politically by virtue of the, the addition of those two countries. Yeah, it really does uh, help him, I think, especially at home in uh, convincing his people that it's us against the world. It's the, it's right. the West that's, uh, that's really driving this. Uh, share with us for a second uh, some of the perspective uh, in, in terms of the kind of the, the naval blockade, the, the port cities. Uh, how do you see that playing out? What's the right strategy uh, for Ukraine and best way for, Utah, for the U.S. to help uh, in terms of those seaports? Yeah, and so actually this is where the, the biggest, the most concerning part of the fight is right now is at sea because Ukraine can grind the, the fighting in the east into, to a halt, but then the problem is to rebuild its economy. It really needs access to the sea because Ukraine is a big exporting country, not just of grain and, and of other foodstuffs, which, is, which has been talked about a lot in the news, but also just machinery parts, equipment. They're a big manufacturing country, so access to the sea is really critical, and they, they can only get a small percentage of their goods out to sea via Romania, which is sort of the back back route. Um, so clearing the blockade is important uh, to do that. Um, you know, the White House, I think their their thinking is, well, if we can get reach a negotiated settlement with Putin, maybe we get him to lift the blockade. I think Putin was likely to keep the blockade in place because he sees that as the one place where he's got a distinct advantage at sea in the Black Sea. So he's going to use that as the tool to continue to keep Ukraine uh, down and keep it in the box. So I think the U.S. has to empower Ukraine to be able to break the blockade on its own if necessary, which could be a way to force Putin to back down. So giving Ukraine longer range anti-ship missiles, uh, for example, the harpoon missile that the U.S. has that's been around since the Cold War, or allowing uh, you know, Norway, which has a, a naval strike missile that's built by Kongsberg, um, which is not a U.S. weapon, let them sell that to uh, Ukraine or give it to Ukraine so they can use it against these ships and then give them the targeting uh, using either space-based systems or drones like the U.S. Reaper. Um, using those aircraft to be able to give the targeting would allow them to basically complete that kill chain and attack those Russian ships, which may be enough of a threat to force Putin to back down. Yeah, and then finally, uh, Ukraine, obviously, uh, without those uh, ports, really does become very much a, a dependent uh, country uh, with not a lot of, of options in terms of uh, you know goods and services flowing in and out. Uh, what, what else should we be looking at or watching for uh, as it relates in terms of what we should be doing? Again, obviously, the debate this week in Congress is all going to be about dollars and cents, um, and, and some oversight. I think is obviously the other uh, sticking point in the Senate. Uh, what else are you watching for? What should we be watching for as it relates to this? Yeah, I think um, the longer-range weapons, which I think are going to be key, and, and those showing up in the bill, which they currently aren't. Um, but then uh, the other idea is, um, are we going to be able to give uh, Ukraine any more missile defenses? Because right now, one of the problems Ukraine has is uh, its cities like Lviv uh, and even uh, 
uh, Kiev are being attacked periodically by Russian long-range missiles, um, which is a way of Russia degrading the Ukrainian economy and keeping it from you know getting back on its feet. So missile defenses like the U.S. Patriot, um, like the U.S. Avenger, might be really good additions to help Ukraine there because the Soviet systems or the Russian systems that were Soviet that they had in in place have largely been destroyed or or, or um, uh, are expended. So that that's another key area. So those are, those are things I'm looking for as the build moves forward. Okay, fantastic, Brian Clark, senior fellow and director of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Brian, great piece uh, in the dispatch. We'll we'll post that on our social feed today. And uh, just great insight, as always. Appreciate you joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. All right. Again, that's uh, Brian Clark, senior fellow and director of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Uh, And I think this is important as we go into the debates this week uh, about the funding. Of course, the House passed uh, a little over $40 trillion package uh, like a week and a half ago. And the Senate has taken that up and it is uh, up for debate. I think they'll get to a final vote on that uh, probably Thursday, I believe, is what that will be looking like. But some of the amendments uh, around that are really focused on accountability and transparency in terms of what are we actually giving that fund for Uh, What are they actually being applied to? And are we making sure there's good oversight in terms of what they actually deliver in terms of outcome? Uh, I thought what Brian shared with us was really significant in terms of those opportunities uh, to make sure that uh, one, we're positioning Ukraine to uh, not just uh, survive, uh, but be able to rebuild and to move forward and to have their sovereignty and their self-determination in terms of their future. And that's going to require more than what currently is happening. And whether that's a complete push out of Russia, whether that's some sort of settlement as it relates to the Donbass region. Uh, I think the other thing Brian brought up that was so important in my view uh, was really looking at the port cities. And if Russia maintains that blockade, then Ukraine will be absolutely dependent still uh, on aid from other countries uh, to get anything done and to any chance of, of rebuilding. Uh, so a lot to watch, a lot to look for in the days ahead as uh, we look at that in Ukraine. All right, coming up, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas had some very strong words about the leak of the potential Supreme Court decision dealing with Roe versus Wade. What did he say and what does it mean for trust in institutions? We're going to break it all down coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.